Amen. Well, uh, before we uh, take a look at God's Word tonight, I'd like to uh, go ahead and go to the Father in prayer again. Amen. Father, I uh, just thank you for our fellowship. Uh, I'm just so encouraged to see the uh, level of fun we can have as disciples. And with that, God, just looking to uh, so many of the events that are coming up in the next few weeks, I pray that you keep our hearts soft, you help us remember what Jesus has done for us personally. And with that, I know that uh, the, the time on March 25th will definitely be a time of edification as we come together as the L.A. Congregation on Ontario. Uh, I know that uh, Satan's going to want to get in there and have some of us feel like the amount of distance involved is too challenging or maybe that it won't be worth it. But I, I pray that uh, God, through your word, as we know when it comes to the body in 1 Corinthians 12, we're all part of one body with Christ as the head. What an incredible opportunity to be able to come together here on the 25th. Father, for the uh, Women's Day, all the uh, men and women that are involved in putting this event together, I, I pray that you can continue to uh, just give them an extra portion of your spirit and the energy that goes along with that, with all the planning and practices that are involved there, uh, and that you will give us a, a forward-looking mindset when it comes to the likes of April 1st, our Fools for Christ Day, uh, leading into Easter service, which I personally am praying will be uh, just the largest day of outreach that we've experienced here in the South Bay Church. Father, thank you so much for this time together here this evening. And uh, more than anything, I'm so grateful that, as Henry had stated earlier, that uh, I've been adopted, as we all have been adopted, into fellowship with you through the blood of Christ. Uh, such an incredible thing to know that uh, because of Jesus, we can approach you, and it's not a matter of out of fear or trepidation, but uh, to a loving Father that is there to embrace us, to welcome us, Help guide us so that we can spend eternity with him. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What I want to do this evening is uh, spend a little bit of time kind of taking a look at the heart. And I'm going to move this over to the side so I don't have to keep looking uh, over my shoulder here. I know it tends to drive my wife. Eyes behind the, uh, or eyes in the back of the head thing. You got that uh, set up back there? <clears throat> We're going to be uh, starting out in John 17, if you want to go ahead and uh, turn there with me. There we go. title of the message tonight is Heart for the Lost. In uh, John 17, verse 14, it reads, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so they also may be sanctified by the truth. You know, I think just taking a look at this for a moment, knowing some of the challenges that we're faced with on a daily basis... Jesus Christ was totally aware of what his guys were going to be going through in just a few hours as he prayed this prayer. And the thing that really impresses me about Christ is the, the, just the, the foresight, looking ahead to what each of us would have to contend with and the need for sanctification and knowing that sanctification would come through Christ, who is the Word. Amen? Sanctification, what, what are we talking about? What does that mean? To make holy, to be set apart, exactly. And I think, you know, just knowing what we were a part of before we rushed into the kingdom through the blood of Christ, and the power 
of God's Word, God's truth in our life. I think one of the, that's one of the things that, that really impressed me about the church the first few times I, could, I came out, and that seeing that there was actually a difference, something different going on in the group. And I think as we move forward, as I said, there's a lot of things we've got coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, if we look at all, all at the same time, it can be a little overwhelming. Any of you feeling that at all? Wow. <laughs> Resounding yes. You know, I know as uh, Jack and I have been planning through things, it's definitely how I can kind of feel from time to time, making sure, you know, wanting to make sure that we've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, we've gotten all the information out to you, that all the messages are in place, uh, the invitations are put together. I'm so grateful for Brian and Jessica Craig with all the help that we get with coordinating that aspect of things. Uh, we've got the, new, the HOPE situation, our community service programs in the mix now. There's so many plates of spinning, as you guys are all aware of. But I think the thing that's really important is that we remember what Jesus has done for us personally, and that through that, only as we become holy through Christ, can the church become holy and have the kind of impact that we all became Christians, that we all became disciples for. And that with that, our purpose is that we can truly have an impact on the outside world. Amen? Second Peter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil... They will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. You know, I think uh, the thing that, that really stands out to me, and this has been a personal study uh, this is a, um, a version of the lesson I did for the leaders on Sunday. There's some embellishments towards the end, so if you were there Sunday and you're realizing that this is some of what we went over, hold on, because there will be some new stuff coming your way here in just a little bit. But I think just thinking through this, we've got to do hard checks from time to time. And we really need to assess what is our conduct like? Is our conduct different than that of the world? Are we being submissive to Christ as He is our Lord? The very thing that we confess at the point in time that we're baptized into God's kingdom, knowing that through that conduct, the thing that stands out in this passage is we all have run into situations where people have given us grief about who we are, what we represent, what we do as Christians, right? And the thing, what's the means of dealing with that? Is it a matter of getting into a philosophical debate? Is it apologetics? Is it anything that we can go after from a standpoint of trying to go to head-to-head with somebody? I know some of you some of you got some incredible arguing skills. We have a little bit of that goes on in my household from time to time. I usually lose. But I think with that, in verse 15, it says, For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by what we say? No, by doing good. And I really want to commend the group. I mean, it's so incredible to see all the new projects that we have up and going with our different community service programs. Um, I shared it with the leaders. I don't think I've shared it with this group as, an, as a whole. But in the uh, coastal L.A. region, we're up to 30 projects now within our local community. Some of them a little bit further out, but where we're having a dramatic impact. I have not led a HOPE meeting yet where someone has come in and said, 
or where they have not come in and said, hey, you know, while we're out there, people want to know why we're doing what we're doing, who we are, what church we're a part of. And, and people opening the doors for us to be evangelistic, to share the good news, to help them understand what it is that we're a part of. Why is that? Because of what we say? No. It's because we are doing good before God. Amen? So I think when it, when it comes to the heart, we need to make sure that within our Christian life, our Christian life is something that's substantiated by really a love affair of the heart. You know, I think we've seen the pendulum swing all over the place, and it will continue to do so. Human nature being what it is, we all have different perspectives on what needs to be done. The thing that's awesome is God's Word is centered. It is consistent through all generations. And as long as that's the thing that we go back to, we don't have to worry about the pendulum. We just need to get back to God's Word. Otherwise, we can get caught up in following principles or ethics or you know, being managed by different steps or programs that we've put together. And that's not what Christianity is about. You know, there's a religious leader that approached Jesus that kind of understood that there may have been some challenges conceptually with some of the different aspects of the law. And the thing that he wanted to make sure that he had a lock on was eternal life. So he came to Jesus and he asked him, Whoa, what is it? How? This kingdom, what's it take to be a part of it? And then in uh, Luke 10, verse 26, Jesus says, and what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him, and it didn't end there. Because, you know, we can have the right answers, right? But the right answers in and of themselves without the actions are really meaningless before God. And the thing that he establishes here is, you're right, you've got this dead on. But do this and you will live. Really understanding the significance behind what God has established here when it comes to how God's needs to be our number one priority. And this is something that I think as a congregation we really understand. I know I can vary in the degree of embracing it from time to time as we all can. Sometimes you know, I get caught up in the mechanics and I lose sight of my love for God. And one of the things that I've talked to my wife about, I've talked to Marco about, and a number of you about, is I am dedicating myself this year to the Gospels. I'll veer into the epistles because, you know, Paul does reference a lot about what Jesus was doing and he talks a lot about the Gospel. But I, I want to make sure I, don't get, I can get caught up in the Old Testament. I, I love history. I love archaeology. And there's so much of that as a young Christian that built my faith, being able to look at different timetables and points in time in history and names in history and seeing them cited in the Bible just blew me away. But I can get caught up in that. I can get lost in that. And I want to make sure that I keep my heart soft. And part of the process for me personally is really making sure that I'm taking a close look at Jesus each and every day. In uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, Paul says, first of all, then I urge you, or I urge that petitions, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so they may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, I think in, in light of what's going to be taking place over the next few weeks, it's, it's amazing the number of women right now that are already signed up and coming out to Women's Day. Individuals that this is the first actual look at true Christianity that's going to be taking place for them on March 31st. And 
sisters, brothers, the, those of you that are a part of the South Bay Church, we need to give each other a round of applause on that. And that God is being glorified through this event. Amen? But I think the thing that we, we need to really put the emphasis on here in the days to come is what Paul talks about here at the beginning of this passage, and that the work's not done. And with that, just really looking at the direction he gives here, I urge that petitions, you know, really thinking through the, the women that are going to be attending this event. Now, how many of you have had women that have agreed to come and have paid and not shown up? I've had it happen. You know, it's amazing the different things that can take place. There are individuals that I've heard of were in accidents, that had health issues, uh, maybe a sick child, all kinds of things Satan will try to throw at them to keep them away from this event. So we need to make sure that the, the individuals that we're reaching out to, we're petitioning God on their behalf. That he puts a protective hedge around them, he keeps them healthy, that there's absolutely nothing that Satan can do to keep them away from coming on out. Prayers, we need to be going after in prayer, intercession, really getting God to intercede on our behalf. You know, getting ourselves out of the way and letting God step in when it comes to the like of even April 1st, where we're going to be hitting the uh, neighborhoods there in Miracosta, around Miracosta, for our Easter service is Fools for Christ. And I know when it comes to evangelism, that kind of evangelism, I could wake up tomorrow and feel differently about it than I will the following day. Uh, there, there are days that it's exciting. And usually it's because there's been maybe some kind of victory that's affiliated with it. But I guarantee you, there have been many times I've gone out and there's been absolutely no impact. Or seemingly on the surface anyway. You know, you got people chasing you off your porch. You see people running around inside the house, turning on lights, closing the blinds. You know, man, it's those, uh, it's those people with the Bibles again. We're di- maybe a different group, but, you know, the bottom line is they've experienced it before. They see us coming. They don't want any part of it. So I think it's just really with that that we're making sure that we're going after God to give us the courage, to give us the ability, and not be discouraged, but realize that we have an incredible opportunity that's ahead of us here as we head into April 1st. Amen? Ultimately, knowing that we're planting seeds here. What is it that God wants to do? Closes out in verse 4. God wants everyone to be saved, to come to know the knowledge of the truth, or the Word, or Jesus Christ, right? Are they not all synonymous? In uh, Matthew 18, verse 10, it says, See that you don't look down on one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the ninety-nine on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, I assure you he rejoices over the sheep more than over the ninety-nine that did, go, did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. You know, uh, I shared this with the leaders on Sunday. I've read this passage a million times. Well, that that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. I've read it many, many, many times. And then in verse 13, you notice there's uh, two letters there that I've got highlighted. This really kind of helped me put into perspective my role in this and God's role in this. You know, you think about the whole shepherding aspect. I think the thing we have to see here is that finding sheep is not a sure thing. Depends on a lot. You know, when it comes to actual sheep, we know they're not the brightest or sharpest tools in the shed. 
I talked to a guy that was a shepherd that said, we used to have these uh, years ago when I was a kid uh, in the city of industry. Basically, you go from L.A. all the way out to Pomona through the hillside, and there were these Basque, Basque, Basque sheep herders that would actually come through with their sheep. They'd set up their trailer. They had their border collies. And these sheep would come through and just eat all the dead foliage, which, you know, alleviated a lot of fire hazards and all. And I had an opportunity to talk with one of these individuals at a, at a feed store who's picking up stuff for his dogs. And he stated that sheep will actually eat their way up to a fence or a tree and not know how to get out of that position. Literally, they'll just eat right up to it, and they are totally clueless as to what to do from that point forward. Now, I don't know if Jesus had this in mind when he was thinking through this person, this analogy correlating it to us or not. I know my wife would attest to the fact that there have probably been some situations like that, not too far removed from that sheep eating up to a tree. But how far, when it comes to this making a difference and having an impact, thinking through the situation with sheep, how far has that sheep strayed and wandered? You know, can the lost sheep hear the voice of the shepherd? We know that the sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd, right? But what if they're not in ear? What if they're not within uh, earshot? I was going to say earsight. That that doesn't quite work. But what if they're they're not in earshot? They can't hear. So how are they going to respond? You know, is this lost sheep willing to respond when it hears the shepherd's voice? Uh, is that lost sheep straying further and further and further away to the point of no return? Has the lost sheep been so careless and unconcerned that it's been injured by falling maybe into a crevasse? Is the lost sheep aware that it's lost? If so, how concerned is it with being lost? You know, I think ultimately one of the biggest things that, that we've got to be aware of, especially for those of us who have been around longer as Christians, has the patience of the shepherd ended? Has the shepherd given up? Has so much time passed that he knows there's no longer any hope for the sheep? And I think with this, I think what is the most important thing when it comes to the gospel? You know, the gospel, I know what it's done for me personally, I would imagine you would all agree with this, is that the gospel is intended to free us to love God and others with our whole heart. You know, when we get caught up in the life of ritual and observance of, of law, God laments. God's not fired up. God's not happy. And we see that in the next slide here in Isaiah 29, verse 13. It says, The Lord said, Because these people approach me with their mouths to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and their worship consists of man-made rules learned by rote. And this is something that it, God doesn't get fired up about us going through the motions. And that's why we need to make sure we do the heart check. Where are we at personally? What is our relationship with God like right now? When we hear these things like April 1st, do you, do you twinge a little bit? I mean, are we going back to door knocking? Or is your love for God such that you look at this as an incredible opportunity to love as God has called us to love in light of some of the passages we've already looked at this evening? You know, in Proverbs 4, verse 23... It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So I think with that, it's important. I mean, it's spelled out here in pretty plain English how important it is. What is the condition of our heart determined? we got a bad heart, it determines the course of our life. we have a good heart, it determines the course of our life. What direction do we want to go? 
Do we want to go towards God or do we want to go away from God? See, God knows for us to lose heart ultimately is to lose everything. And we have to be careful. You know, I think when it, when it comes to the condition of our heart, most of us are pretty good when it comes to car maintenance. Now, there's a lot of aspects of our cars today that don't require a whole lot of work. You know, we got these maintenance-free batteries. Um, most cars now, you need to tune up every 100,000 miles. But there are some things that we still need to check. Um, I, I still have run into individuals from time to time that think that little oil can light that comes on means it's time to change the oil. At that stage in the game, you're a little late. Uh, my son, who's a mechanic, you know, it's, it's kind of like... Uh, I'm trying to remember. There was a conference, and there were a bunch of uh, well, you doctors help me out. What, coronary specialists? What would they be? Uh, cardiologists. There was a cardiologist convention at the LA Convention Center years ago, and I was there for another much smaller convention. And as these guys broke from their conference, guess where these men and women were? They were all out curbside smoking. And it's kind of like a mechanic. They know how to fix somebody else's car, but they don't always do the greatest maintenance on their own. That's my son. But, you know, I think when it comes to the car maintenance, you know, we're, we're good with pulling the dipstick from time to time, checking the oil level. We're, we're good checking the little cooling container that gives you the max and minimum. We don't even have to crack the uh, radiator cap anymore. You can just do a visual by popping the hood. You know, we're, we're good with the uh, brake fluid level. We're good with all these different things when it comes to our cars. But how about when it comes to our own personal hearts? Where are we at? You know, and sometimes beyond those things, we need a mechanic with our car. And I think that's where discipleship comes in. That's where these relationships come in. One of the things that I really want you to take a look at here tonight, the next few days, is getting together with whoever your closest relationship is and asking them, you know, where do you think I'm at? We've had a lot of interaction over the last few months. What do you think the condition of my heart is right now? Having the humility to ask that question, and then depending on whatever the response is that comes back, having the humility to deal with it the way God would want us to deal with it. Amen? So what is the condition of your heart tonight? Have you checked that condition? You know, I think that where the thing that we've got to be careful with moving forward is with discipleship. Discipleship isn't a code word for evangelism, nor is it a system for spiritual growth, you know, where professional Christians pass on the best practices to novice Christians. We've all experienced that at one time or another, right? But I think really, really understanding that making disciples requires not only sharing our faith, but our lives. And with that, our failures. Our successes, our disobedience, our obedience. Real discipleship, bottom line, if it's real discipleship, is messy, imperfect, and honest. That's real discipleship because the reality behind it is that's who we are. You're in a marriage, there's good times, there's bad times. There's times that aren't so messy, there's times that are pretty darn messy. Same situation with our kids, same situation with the interaction we have with each other right here in this room. And what I want to do tonight is to take a few minutes to take a look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Actually, we're going to start in verse 16. Verse 16, Matthew 28. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, these guys had come off of three years of ministry with Christ. 
They've seen a few loaves of bread and a handful of fish feed thousands twice. They've seen people raised from the dead. They've seen people that were sick, healed, paralytics walking again, those that were blind able to see again. And with that, these guys are excited to go out and make disciples of all nations, right? Well, in verse 17, this kind of ties back into what I stated earlier, that real discipleship is messy and perfect and honest. And then verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You know, some of them had issues. Some of them were flawed. And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible's real. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that they paint all these wonderful pictures about if you do this, this, and this, everything's perfect. Well, you know what? I don't care if it's in the business world. I don't care if it's in the spiritual world. I don't care what it is. That's never going to be the case anywhere until we get to heaven. Amen? But this is the thing I love about the Scriptures in that we get some real insight as to what life's all about. The good, bad, and the ugly. Disciples are real. Jesus' guys confess their sins and their struggles right alongside their successes. You know, we see them questioning their Savior. You know, Jesus would throw a parable out there, and even though it was something that they did or were familiar with, like fishing or whatever, they didn't get it. A lot of times they needed clarification. And that encourages me. Sometimes I need clarification. You know, we see the victories. I mean, these guys were excited. The first time out, they came back, and what are they telling Jesus? Dude, we're casting out demons! You know, that, that, that stuff that you told us about, it works. And then there's other times where, you know, where are they at? Hiding out in an upper room somewhere. Hoping that, you know, the Roman soldiers or the religious leaders of the day weren't knocking on their door to line them up to be the next guys nailed to a cross. But with all that, flaws and all, what's the direction that Jesus gives them? Here in verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's three things in this passage I want us to take a look at tonight. First one is, when it comes to the gospel, I just entitled it Gospel Going. I mean, the mission starts and the mission finishes with Jesus. And the reality behind this is, it's not as much about the going as much as it is about being sent. I mean, when we make Jesus Lord of our life, we're at that point. Why? Somebody else sent? Right? I mean, there may be somebody in this group, but how many of you found this church on your own? I actually had one person raise a hand one time. I don't remember exactly how they did it, but, you know, they were looking, they found it. Obviously, we can see it's a rarity. The reason we're here is because somebody took the imperative... Somebody took the command, somebody took the, took the direction that Jesus gave. When Jesus said, go, they were sent. And we were the recipients of that. Amen? Amen? So I think the thing that we've got to understand here is that God's plan, thousands of years ago, prior to Christ, the method was always men and women. I don't, I don't want to get into any gender issues here. <laughs> But God has always worked for people. And, and guess what? Today, that methodology hasn't changed. It's no different today. It's the same methodology. We are called. We were called. 
we decided to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. With that calling, we are the ones that are now sent. And that's awesome. As disciples, we're under Jesus' authority. We are the plan. There is no plan B. We've heard this before. But we can do one of two things with this. On a heart level, we can get excited about it. Or we can be like, you know what, dude? I didn't sign up for this. And you, you need to really think back and be honest with yourself. So I know there are times where there are things that you know, were brought to my attention after the fact. Uh, when I was studied with, I think I've shared it in this group before, no one talked to me about tithing or giving, however you want to look at it. Um, Jack and I were making a boatload of money at the time. We were feeling real good about putting $20 in the plate. And somebody sat us down, helped us out biblically, and, you know, that took a little bit of getting some of our finances under control, but we stepped it on up, and we were excited about being able to do it. No one talked to me about coming to church every Sunday when they counted the cost with me. Um, I think I was going to maybe every other midweek, but I was in the automobile industry. Dino understands how that goes. Sundays, you're there. And uh, I remember it was very challenging going in and talking to my boss about needing Sunday off. And I was in a sweet situation back in the uh, late 80s. I had a $7,500 a month guarantee, which back then was a you know, pretty decent amount of change in the industry, uh, especially in an industry where there are no guarantees. But that was the contract I negotiated. But, you know, having Sundays off wasn't part of those negotiations. But God came through. And I think just really understanding that we are God's plan for getting out there and giving people the opportunity to come out of this lost world into God's kingdom. Amen? So gospel going. Second part of this is gospel baptizing. We got gospel going. We got gospel baptizing. And within gospel baptizing, there's three, three aspects that I want to talk about tonight. First is, baptism is a sign that we have learned the gospel. Without having learned the gospel, understanding who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ did for us personally, is there a valid baptism? No. What do we get? You know, if somebody just says, we, we have an altar call at the end of the evening tonight and ask people to get baptized, they know what they're getting into? Do they know what Jesus did, what Jesus died for, what the significance of that death was? No. So I think really understanding when it comes to gospel baptizing, again, baptism is a sign that we have learned the gospel. It signifies our identifying with Christ through the likes of Romans 6, verse 4. We are dead to sin and alive to God. Amen? Second, we're baptized into two overlapping communities. First one is the divine community. We're baptized into what? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So there's this divine community. Through Christ, we have an opportunity to enter this divine community, this ability to interact and have a relationship with God. But we are also baptized into a second community, which is the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For we are one spirit baptized into one body, you know, basically participants in a new spiritual family. And as a spiritual family, sometimes there's not there's needs to talk as a family. Amen? Got a couple passages that I want us to look at. First one's Galatians 6, verse 9. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, this word weary... Why is there this word weary in there in Galatians 6? Any of you ever weary? 
I know for a period there at the end of February, beginning of March, man, I was just fried. I mean, two weeks of the flu and then the nose surgery. And I mean, I, you know, we've still kept all of our appointments. We were on the phone. Uh, you know, I was out to church with that funky thing hanging off the end of my nose. But believe me, by the time that I rolled into bed around 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, I was done. And that alarm clock goes off the next morning. I was not excited. <laughs> But, you know, why, why is the reason for this being cited in this passage? It's because we can become weary. But let's make sure we're becoming weary for the right thing. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, when we're weary, what do we want to do? We want to throw in the towel. You know, man, I've got my job. I've got my wife. I've got my kids. I've got my sports, my kids' homework, all this stuff. Do I really got room for church? Do I really have time for midweek? Do I really have time for Sunday? Do I really have time for discipling? And when those things go, everything else at some point in time will follow. And the outcome won't be pretty. I mean, I'm sure many of you in this group have seen people where they've allowed those different things to crowd out the relationship with God. I I know a couple of handfuls of people that allowed their situational stuff to crowd out God. No, they're not only no longer faithful to God anymore, there's divorce, there's kids that are a mess. I mean, it's, it's just challenging. In the kingdom or out of the kingdom, but I'd much rather have you guys that I can go to for help and encouragement and support and correction and admonishment and God's scriptures. Because guess what? That'll give me the ability to overcome those things and get through those periods of time where I'm ready to toss in the towel. And we all are going to be faced with it at some point in time or another. But it says, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but I do want to continue here in Hebrews 12, verse 28. It says, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, reverence and awe. Big words from a standpoint of what's entailed there, right? Here's the definitions. Reverence. Honor or respect felt or shown. Deference, especially profound, adoring, all of respect. Gesture of respect, state of being revered. This is how we're supposed to approach God. You know, that profound, adoring, all respect. I mean, we've, we've seen that with the likes of Paul and Peter, with some of the interaction they had with God, stuff that they saw from heaven. You know, Elijah, Elisha. There was some stuff that went on there that these guys were absolutely blown away by. And the other one is awe. An emotion, variously combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or by sacred or sublime. Stood in awe of the king. Regards nature's wonders with awe. And you know, there's a lot of different things that... You know, you go to a fireworks show, awe is one of the aspects of that, right? I mean, everybody's all, ooh, ah, you know, it's, it's wild. I love watching uh, Nat Geo. I mean, some of the animals, some of the sea life. I mean, it's just so awe-inspiring to see what kind of a God we have. I mean, dude, it's like, how did you come up with all this stuff? You know, you look at some of the stuff in Africa, and you're like, why did you come up with some of this stuff? I mean, I, you know, I just, I, I don't totally get the giraffe thing. I mean... I guess it gives them the ability to reach up high into trees, but man, alive. There's a, there's a throat situation for you, Henry. 
<laughs> but, you know, when we think through this, I want us to really, on a hard level, assess this tonight. You know, beginning of the year, it seemed like we were off to a great start. I mean, midweeks, room was like this, 7.30 in the evening. And, you know, I, I know the job situations can change and there's different things that go on. Sunday morning is the same way. When I, and, you know, it's something that really affects me, not as an evangelist. I mean, there's an aspect of it as an evangelist that obviously I have a conviction about based on my role with each and every one of you. But really understanding what it means to revere God, what it means to be in awe of God. I've got one more passage I want us to look at, then I'll kind of break this down a little bit for you. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says, Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You know, we think of Sunday service. Think of the situations that you've got in the workplace when it comes to God versus your job. Where's the greater degree of reverence? When it comes to God versus patience, where's the greater degree of reverence? God versus your employer, where's the reverence? Heavily weighed. God versus clients, God versus family, God versus students, God versus teachers. You know, we saw in those definitions that honor, respect, adoration, and awe are part of what it means to be in reverence of God. When I sit there on a Sunday morning, and we've got about 20% of the congregation there, when Brian Craig or whoever does this up front drops their hands for that first note, and I look around, I don't see reverence in awe of God. When it comes to a, a midweek, and I think, you know, these are family issues. But when, when Tom gets up here tonight, my heart went out to him. I mean, you know, it was kind of, I don't know if it was a last-minute thing or not. I know that Brian's helping the Metro uh, with the choir for our big event next Sunday, and he's not here tonight. And then the impetus is on Tom to get up here and be the guy leading singing. And, you know, he was a little frazzled, which I, I totally understand. He's not usually the lead guy. But, you know, he had this incredible heart, wants to get up here, wants to lead us in song. People are talking. And I, I, can, I can do this. And if you see me doing it, say something to me. But that isn't reverence. That's not awe of God. And I think just thinking through these things, because going back to the Sunday, it's, it's just interesting. You know, I mean, the guys every Sunday are having to, come on, guys, you know, welcome to the South Bay Church. Hey, if you're in the back, let's fill in the spaces. Come on, move forward. Why, why do we even need to have those conversations? Seriously. I mean, if you're embarrassed because you're late, don't be late. You won't be embarrassed. Come sit where you're supposed to sit. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty easy solution. And I think the, the thing that's concerning with this is this is what's on the surface. This is what's visible. What's really going on at a heart level? Because I, I guarantee you guys, and you've experienced this too, I've been to denominational churches, man. When they start, everybody's in there. They're singing. They're going after it. There's that degree of unity. And if we're going to make a difference to a lost world, some of the surface stuff 
that's visible? Because, you know, Jesus does talk about being a light. Lights are visible. This is an area that it needs to start. We need to get a conviction about this. You know, I mean, it, it, it does pain me because I can only begin to imagine what God's going through when He looks at what He's done for us through His Son and just seeing how we allow life situations, we allow Satan to get in there and distract us from what an awesome God we have. This incredible degree of grace that's been extended to us. Paul talked about it in one of the earlier passages that we read. That grace needs to be the thing that motivates us and inspires us to revere God. But, you know, the bottom line is, as we see throughout the Bible, we need reminders. We need to go to the Scriptures. We need people talking to us about it. If you know there's someone missing here tonight, don't leave it to chance. Call them up. Don't rebuke them. You know, it's probably not the place to start. Ask a few questions. You know, hey, what happened? I missed you tonight. You know, are you doing all right? Because we do have individuals with, with situations and issues. The Spradlins aren't here because of Jerry's dad. There might be other situations like that in the congregation. But guess what? If we don't follow up with people to find out what's going on, we're going to know. Can we pray for them? Can we get in there? Can we encourage them? And these are all things that we need to really go after. Amen? You know, God is clear. Jesus is clear. Paul is clear. The bottom line is we can't serve two masters. Jesus is supposed to be the only Lord of our life. The third aspect of what I want to talk about tonight when it comes to the gospel baptism aspect of things in Matthew 28 is baptism is missional. And ultimately that is because it is the outcome of our obedience to the Great Commission. Guess what? You don't share the gospel, people don't get to respond by faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. They don't get saved. Now, sent disciples... If we live out our identity in Christ, sharing Jesus, then people are baptized. And, you know, and the thing that was really awesome this past Sunday, as you can see here, Jay Johnson became our sister in Christ over the weekend. Amen? This is phenomenal. It was one of the most incredible times of sharing that I've ever experienced. I mean, Jay, hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half? Just the sharing. Everybody's freezing it out. The wind's blowing. Everybody's hair's kind of doing this thing as we're trying to get out of the wind. And then we went down to the beach. Rachel and I went up and talked to the lifeguard. I mean, I'm looking at that water. I'm thinking, it probably ain't too wise. I'm not knowing about I don't know about this. So we went up and we talked to the guy. He said, well, if you go to the left side of the pier, you're within my eyesight. We'll send a truck down there. It might be okay. And the direction I gave initially was, you know, get her into about her belly and sit her down and, the lifeguard's like, no. He goes, you know, you want to probably do mid-thigh, and uh, otherwise she's going to get pulled out to sea. And, you know, they kind of oh, wasn't super fired up about how they sat her down initially. And, you know, uh, Eddie and I prayed before they went in, and I'm thinking, I'm going to, you know, I didn't bring a swimsuit. I'm going to have to get wet. And I was ready. Started walking, amen, but didn't have to. It worked out well, and she got baptized, and it was incredible. I mean, it was surreal. But this is what bringing the Word to other people does. This is the impact that it has. The thing that's really incredible about this is whenever someone is baptized, another disciple is sent in the power and authority of Jesus to join the mission of making disciples of all nations. Amen? Amen. And the final thing within this is the, the Gospel teaching. Verse 20 
So we got gospel going, gospel baptizing, gospel teaching. In verse 20, it says, Teaching the day everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Discipleship is a matter of being ushered into the kingdom, but it's a matter of staying in the kingdom as well. As we work with each other, arm in arm, helping each other, being unified in each other, dealing with all the situational stuff that we can have going on in the church based on who we are in the flesh, but that's the thing that will enable us to make it to the finish line. Amen? Luke 24, verse 46, he says, Jesus told them, this is what is written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You know, when it comes to what we see in this passage, this isn't something that's only been meant to be heard once. But for the entirety of a disciple's life, we learn the width and the depth of the good news by continually situating ourselves in the midst of it for repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You know, it's been incredible the new, again, some of the poor and the needy within our communities. But I think we need balance. Amen? And those programs are phenomenal. And Jesus was phenomenal in meeting physical needs. But there was a reason that Jesus met physical needs. How many times after Jesus healed someone did he tell them not to sin anymore? Whether it was the blind man, whether it was the paralytic, whether it was the sinful woman at the well. Jesus met the spirit, the physical needs knowing that until he got that out of the way, there wasn't really the ability to get in there and move someone's heart on a spiritual level. But we need to be willing to do all of that. We need to be willing to have that balance. We need to realize that we've got incredible times ahead of us in the next few weeks, months, and years as Christians. But it's time to do a heart check and be ready for what is to come. You know, I think a lot of these things that we're doing, it's good for the condition of the heart. You know, I'm super excited about going down to Honduras because I know the impact that's going to have on me for the rest of my life. You know, getting out to our uh, situation where we're bringing the dogs out to those that were mentally challenged at the facility we had here in Redondo Beach. Being able to interact with people on that level. It, it was heart-rendering. You know, it was a woman with Alzheimer's that I sat down with and seemed like she had these incredible periods of lucidity, then she'd kind of drift off and we'd start all over again with the conversation. And just, you know, I, I don't know how much of an understanding she has to where she's at, but I can only begin to imagine what, what it's like for the family members that are involved in those situations, and a lot of us have experienced that. So what we're doing is not only good for the condition of our hearts, but every bit as much so for those women they are going to be attending our Women's Day, for those that we're going to be reaching out to on April 1st and hoping to get them on out to our service on Easter, uh, Easter on April 8th. And, you know, guys, we've got an opportunity. Barna, I've got a letter that's going to be going. But most denominational churches have anywhere from a 50 to a 300% increase to their attendance on Sunday. We have such an incredible opportunity coming up on Easter to get people out to hear the gospel preached for the first time. And I know for me personally, if I were to die on April, or on April 8th on Easter, the thing that I long to hear, no matter when it is I go, but, you know, I, I'd be pretty fired up. That place is filled to the hill, knowing that there are all kinds of people going to become Christians, knowing that based on what I've been doing up to this point in time as a disciple, the thing I long to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's take the opportunity over the next few days to really get our hearts right so that when March 25th rolls around, we're excited about heading on out to Ontario. When April 1st rolls around, we have that tailgate party out there in the parking lot of Miracosta. We're excited 
about the opportunity to get out there and make a difference. And guys, let's not be concerned with the receptivity we get when we're out there. There will be victories and there will be defeats. But you know what? God's the one that's in control of the outcome of all those situations. It's on us to be the ones that get out there and open our mouths. Amen? So God be the glory. God bless.